When I was preparing this sermon, I was praying for you, mainly because you've got to endure it. Um, but um, I, was, um, I realized that there might not be very many people here tonight. And, um, well, I didn't know how many. But I just sensed that the people that God was drawing here tonight, God was calling catalyst people. So just, these are people who will precipitate or accelerate an event. So whether you choose to receive that uh, identity or not, that's how I sense God uh, sees you tonight as catalyst people. So I pray that if you feel moved, you will embrace that identity. It is, um, it's a joy to be preaching again. Well, it's a joy for me, not for you, clearly. But for me, it's a joy. The last time I preached here was our first Sunday back in January. So our first Sunday of the new year. And um, we're now over halfway through the year. Can any of you remember your New Year's resolutions? Can any of you even... <laughs> there's one, remembering them is one thing, whether you've kept stuck to them is quite another. Some of you are doing that startled, don't test me look. (laughs) Some nods. In January, we were talking about uh, setting a New Year's resolution, and I wanted to set a resolution of trying to live with a, a more conscious sense of living with an eternal perspective. And you may remember that I borrowed a a very long rope from my parents' farm and it stretched from from this side of the stage and it came all the way across and then we wound it in an infinity H shape over here to represent forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And at this end of the rope, we had just a bit of the rope was um, taped over about this much to represent your life here on earth and you had to try and find in that space that particular day in January or 2018. And then on that, you had to try and find your worry or your concern. And what we found was it was actually quite tricky when we have an eternal perspective to focus in on that. And I want to testify that I have kept my New Year's resolution since then. My New Year's resolution was to set an alarm on my telephone at 18 minutes past 8 every evening. So that's 2018 each evening. See what I did there? And so this alarm will come off every evening and it's to remind me to pause and to remember that I am living in an eternal perspective. Because when we come to recognize that Jesus is our Lord, that he is God, we die to our old life, we're born into eternal life with God and we begin this this, uh, forever and ever journey with him. And So I just needed uh, that reminder each day. And I'm sticking to my New Year's resolution. My phone still buzzes at 2018. Sometimes it's somewhat embarrassing, but (laughs) awkward moments. But it's been really valuable, particularly because soon after that uh, preach in January, I did a disappearing act. And I was away from the parish, as you will know, for about three months with health issues and then a family crisis. And yet, at 2018, each evening, I had to pause and remember my eternal perspective. And I paused to put those struggles, those worries, pains, disappointments, even my hopes and my desires in that eternal perspective. And most days, when I've looked at, uh, sort of reflected on the day, 
I've, I've mostly smiled at whatever I've been fussing about or whatever has been weighing on me. But very often, I've just laughed out loud, thinking, oh, why was I getting in such a fret over that when I'm living with this perspective, with this almighty, everlasting God? And so it's really, it's been a discipline that has really helped me through this year of just pausing and getting things back into a more godly perspective, particularly as I've gone through those struggles. We're over halfway through the year, but for any of you who want to still set your half-year New Year's resolution, then feel free to jump on the bandwagon. Um, 2018 still happens each evening. The, one, one, the reason I'm repeating myself is because some of the scripture that I've been feeding on lately has helped me to understand that eternal perspective from a fresh angle. Uh, it's not from the, the scripture we've had read. That's uh, re- related to, but it's not the scripture that I've been um, pondering. In my evening Bible reading... Um, I tend to read through a book of the Bible at a time, not in any particular hurry. Sometimes I'll just read one verse, sometimes a big chunk. uh, And I just gradually work through the Bible again and again. And when I get to a verse that really speaks to me, I just stay with it night after night. And sometimes I can stay with it for days or weeks, just this one verse. And this one verse is one that um, I wanted to share with you tonight, that I've been with for weeks And when Julie spoke a couple of weeks ago and she said uh, that she believed God was saying to to us here in Bath, can you remember what he said? I will build my church. And so when she said that and she felt that it was really a word for the now and the here, I thought, oh, maybe that's why this verse has been really standing out to me. So that's why I want to um, just stay with that verse today. It's in Acts. I know we've done umpteen series in Acts. We're not starting another series, so don't panic. The context is Jesus is risen from the dead and he's ascended to victory seat at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on those who believe. The church has grown in numbers and in the fruit of the Spirit. It has been persecuted intensely and Stephen has been stoned uh, to death. The church has dispersed. Saul has encountered Jesus and been tentatively welcomed by the apostles. And then there's this verse. It begins with meanwhile, which I suppose in the past I have sidelined as meaning in the background, the less important part of the story is mentioned in passing. But this time it really stopped me in my tracks. And so I'd like us to look at it together. Andy, could you pop it up on the screen, please? Thank you. It says, it's Acts 9, verse 31. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And then the narrative gets back to the action with Peter going about doing important kingdom things. It's just one verse inserted amongst all the rest of the action. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. 
Living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The regions of Judea, Galilee and Samaria are geographically comparable to Wales, most possibly a little smaller than Wales. You scientists amongst you will know that there are three significant measurements. There's the mile, the kilometre and the size of Wales. So we know that we're talking about a relatively small area. But politically, it's a region that's comparable, perhaps, to England, Scotland and Wales in the way that it relates. And it's a, a geographical region that is experiencing a time of peace. That is, there's no war happening at that moment. There's no desperate persecution. It's in peace. And when I first read it recently, I was really taken by surprise. Because how many times, and maybe it's just me, but how many times have you heard someone preach that for us to see the church grow, we need persecution? How many times I've even heard people say they're going to pray for a stirring up of persecution to see the church grow because it'll spur us into action? I've heard that kind of rhetoric. Maybe you haven't. And certainly there is some truth in it. When churches are persecuted, there are testimonies of the spreading of the good news that's really quite extraordinary. And I'm sure you can think of churches now that are under pretty heavy persecution and yet still growing. So there is some truth in it. But it's always puzzled me because it hasn't sat with my understanding of my loving God. Because I thought, surely the bride can grow and flourish without being beaten up and hurt. Surely the bridegroom loves the church in such a way that this is possible. We may not see it very often, but surely the church can grow without persecution at its heels. Of course it can. And of course God does. And the evidence is in this meanwhile verse. And that's what surprised me at first. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. When Julie explains that when God says, I will build my church, he is meaning his bride will be edified and encouraged as well as increasing in number. And seeing as we are a church in a time of peace, I think this verse uh, has a lot to teach us. So how is the church, the bride built up? It's by living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'd like us to look at. The key to being built up, you see, is neither the peace nor the persecution, but the living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's the key to the building of the church. To some, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit can sound a bit contradictory or a bit sort of, and pulling you in two different directions. And we're familiar, particularly at this church, of living in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, in the comfort of the Comforter, living in the presence of the one who shares God's heart and groans with words that we cannot express from our heart. We've just had a whole sermon series on the fruit of the, the Spirit, which is this, how the comfort of the Holy Spirit outworks and expresses itself in our lives. And we should know those fruit by heart by now. 
So to live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit is to have that direct interaction between us and God. And it's to live with that inbuilt encouragement and direction, enlightenment and empowerment. We can all understand that if the church lived in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, seeing the fruit grow, the church would be built up. The bride would be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And the bride would be radiant beyond compare. A beautiful bride. But the beauty in the comfort of the Holy Spirit can sound as though it jars a bit with this fear of living in the fear of the Lord. That's often portrayed more as an Old Testament relationship with the Almighty God who's going to smite you if you don't behave yourselves. In English, we have one word for fear. But this can be translated from three different Greek words. So uh, here's your, um, your three words. One is phobos, which is a really strong word. And this is a kind of flight, a fear, a terror, a really powerful, almost sort of overwhelming uh, fear. The second, and and I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing these right, so we'll just go with it, but you don't know either, so it's okay. The second is dahlia, known as timidity or cowardice or sort of fearfulness. And the third word is eulabia, which is a sort of caution, a sort of of reverence or respect. It's a sort of respect type fear. So... Any pri- there are no prizes, but you can have the sense of achievement. If you can guess which word for fear we've got in this, if we're living in the fear of the Lord. We could rule out the middle one, because we know that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. So it's whether it's that word, or that really strong word of slight fear or terror, or the word of um, respect and reverence. You think, you think the strong one? The reference, the, the respect one. And that's what I thought too. So hold on to your seats. <laughs> it's the terror one. It's the really strong terror word. But you need to listen carefully because there is a nuance to it. This is not about being terrified of God. You need to hear that really clearly. Living in the fear of the Lord is not about being terrified of him. But it is still a really strong word. An uncompromising word. In my understanding, it means that they were living with this overwhelming desire and need to please God and fulfill his will. Not out of a sense of striving, but as a love response to his love. That they just want to honour and um, stay in line with his love and to stay um, receiving his love by, by being terrified of stepping out of it. It's a sense that Nothing else matters 
except to please God by praising his glory and living in the way that he designed. It's taking our focus away from the material and the everyday fuss and that it's all about what feels right for me so it must be okay perspective and it looks beyond. It's focusing on a God who created all things, who gives us breath each day, who has shepherded his people since the beginning of time and who knows that each hair on your head. It's recognizing our utter, utter dependence on him to live and to become fully who he designed us to be. Our dependence on Christ's sacrifice to enter into that eternal life. There is no other way. We need God to live and to have life and life in all its fullness. So living in the fear of the Lord is recognizing that absolutely nothing else and nobody else is anywhere near as important as God. God is so infinitely powerful and majestically beautiful and holy, 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 that the thought of turning our heart away from him in distrust or selfishness or any capacity terrifies us because we'd be turning away from holy, almighty love himself. It is so powerful, living in the fear of the Lord, that all other fears become insignificant and fall away. Because in comparison to the Lord's way, our other pressures and temptations and fears are viewed in this new perspective. They have no place, absolutely no place, in our relationship between bride and bridegroom. So living in the fear of the Lord is a fear that casts out all other fears. It's a fear that casts out all other fears. Love casts out fear. It's a sort of purifying, a setting apart with this eternal perspective. And strangely enough, this holy fear also gives us unearthly courage. This holy fear gives us unearthly courage. Because we're less fussed about what we look like, what other people think, what uh, feels right to us. It's more about that devotion to God. So it gives us an unearthly courage. The world stirs up a different kind of fear to punish, to hold us in captivity, to make us shrivel up from who God designed us to be. But living in the fear of the Lord empowers us to grow to our greatest potential, to be built up. And so when we truly experience who God is, we are compelled to lead lives of boldness with this eternal perspective. It's in the fear of the Lord that we find true love which casts out all human fear. 
So living in the fear of the Lord is living day by day, not just for my brief reminder of 2018 each evening, but that is a helpful reminder. But it's continually living with that eternal perspective and priority. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. It took both the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And this brings me uh, to my visual aid for today, brothers and sisters. Uh, It's my kite. Um, God gave me this analogy years ago when... um, I was asking him what it looks like to worship in spirit and truth. But I think um, it's relevant for this. This is my childhood kite, so it's quite battered and bruised, and there's a hole in it that my dad has patched up, and um, it's quite a bit dirty in places. I've tried washing it. And, uh, And I noticed that I've written my name and my address on the kite so that I know who it belongs to. I've spelt the address wrong in two places. But I thought, and then I thought, well, maybe I should buy a shiny new kite for this uh, um, illustration. But then I thought, no, this is so appropriate. Because we do gather a bit of um, solidness through life. And we all get a little bit broken and mended and bound up. And um, we all know who we belong to. Should we go astray? That doesn't change. So I bought my childhood kite. And I think that... Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit is like flying a kite. You see, if we live just in the fear of the Lord, it's like trying to fly a kite by dragging it along the ground. There may be great um, terror of doing something uh, that steps us out of God's love. So it's being obedient and following the string. But it's not receiving the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's not being raised up in the power and the wind. It's not being lifted up. So the kite is not being fully kite-like. It's not fulfilling its true identity or purpose. It's pretty unglorious, although it is obedient. And flying uh, with the comfort of the Holy Spirit but without the fear of the Lord I think is like flying a kite by cutting the string you'll get some amazing powerful encounters with God and some amazing tricks and signs and wonders will happen but ultimately the kite will go astray and it will get entangled in the world or it will crash so I it says here that the church was built up so it was edified it became fully who it was meant to be as it lived in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and in the fear of the Lord which I think is how we fly kites and you notice you may have noticed that when people fly kites really well it's mesmerizing isn't it you have to stop and watch somebody fly their kites and it attracts other people they want to sort of join in with this kite flying um, activity 
And I believe that's how we evangelize at our best, how the church grows in number. When we are each living our lives in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, then we are living like we're flying kites gloriously and people are attracted to that. They want to know, how is it that you can live without being weighed down by the fears and stresses and worries of this world? How is it that you have a sense of purpose and worth? How is it that you know where you belong and that what you invest in now has eternal relevance? When we are living truly like a beautiful flying kite, then that attracts other people to the numbers. The church is built up and it grows in numbers when we live in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So that's pretty much what I wanted to say to you tonight. But when I asked God what the purpose of saying all that was, like, what's the point, Lord? (laughs) I sensed that he said, he said, ask them if they believe it. God says he will build his church. Church can be built in peacetime without the need of persecution if we live in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? If you're not sure or you don't really believe it, then be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. There is no condemnation. So why not use the summer to dig into what that barrier is to believing for you? Be honest with God, because he knows when we're faking it. If you do believe it, that God will build his church in peacetime, that living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit builds his church. Is it your priority? Is living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit your priority? Be honest with yourself. There's no condemnation. If it's not a priority... Why not use the summer to dig in to find out what all your other priorities are and take them to the Lord and talk them through with him? He won't condemn you either. If you do really believe it, and if you expect it, and if it is your priority, then you are catalyst people. And we will see our family built up and grown by God's grace through us. God will build his church, and that's really exciting. Amen.